Hi, my name is Taylor and I am a college student attempting to learn everything I can about art and its environmental impact. This season, I'm going to focus on paint, both industrial and non-industrial, paint for houses and paint for your canvas. We're going to break down the chemical structures and see how they react with the atmosphere, working together to figure out the most sustainable and least toxic way we can embrace our creative side. Stay tuned because this is fuming. Before we understand the environmental implications of the paint world, we need to understand what paint is actually comprised of. Since the cave art days, chemistry, engineering, and physics have worked together through trial and error to create a material that was actually usable. It couldn't have too much texture, it had to easily spread across whatever what was being painted on, and it had to have enough opacity to cover whatever was underneath. Ultimately, the artists and paint scientists broke down paint into three components based on what was most successful. Those three things are pigments, binders, and thinner. Most paints are created the same way, with the first step being the preparation of pigment. Now pigment is whatever particle is added to the paint to give it color and opacity. It can be added through chemicals, salts, rocks, or even turmeric from your spice cabinet. If the pigment is coming from a rock or any other mineral substance, it will need to be refined to remove impurities before being ground up into a very fine powder. Industrial paints prioritize uniformity when it comes to color and often turn to paint scientists to ensure a pure pigment chemical is added to the mixture. This just means there's no fluctuation in the amount of pigment being added from paint can to paint can. It can also be manipulated by the scientists to make it darker, more saturated, or even a totally different color through the addition of other chemicals. Although the pigment is what gives off the color, the fine powder cannot stick to its material on its own. This is where binders come into play. The binder literally binds the pigment to the canvas, the house, or the ceramic plate. Think of the binder like the milk for your hot chocolate packet. The hot chocolate is formed by mixing the powder, or the pigment in this case, with the milk, or the binder, to create the hot chocolate, which is the paint. This process of mixing it categorizes paint as a liquid colloidal suspension. It took many Google searches to figure out what this means, but in non-chemistry terms, it means that the pigment you mix in with the liquid is evenly spread throughout the binder, rather than just clumping up and falling to the bottom of the tin can like sand in a pond. It cannot be a solution, however, like mixing sugar into hot water, because eventually the paint separates. Solutions cannot separate, but colloidal suspensions can. Up until the 1950s, natural oils were the preferred method of binding, using tongue nut oil, fish oil, and linseed oil. Modern day binders are actually normally water. Latex paint, like acrylic, are water-based paints because it improves the paint quality and it's a much easier cleanup. Okay, two components down, one to go. We have our pigments to give us the color, we have our binders to keep it all together, but now we need something to help us spread it over large surface areas. That's where the thinner comes in. Thinners are used to adjust the consistency of paint. They make it easier to apply and allow the paint to actually dry because the thinners are what evaporate in order to allow the binder to dry up. The thinner used depends on the base and molecular density of the binder, which we'll get into momentarily. Thinners plus the binder is known as the paint vehicle and is then able to further classify paint into two categories. 
this is where we get into the interesting stuff. Now, there are two main forms of paint vehicles. There's oil solvent-based paints and there's latex water-based. Essentially, this is just determined by whether the paint has an oil solvent binder, like the fish oil used in the 1950s, or water-based binders. When oil-based binders dry, they become polymers, which are bigger molecules that are bonded together. This makes sense based on what we've discussed about the role binders play in paint. They bond things together. In water-based paints, however, the binder already has resins, which are polymers that have a high molecular weight. The weight of the molecule just describes how resistant it is to breaking. Resin polymers are hard to break and often the preferred base for paints. Depending on which binder the paint has instructs the paint chemist on which thinner to use. Like I said, water-based paint binders already consist of high molecular weight polymers. This means they don't need as concentrated of a thinner as their counterpart, or petroleum thinner, like oil-based paint solvents do. In fact, they only need to be thinned with water. Any harsh petroleum-based thinner used in acrylic latex paints will ruin the viscosity of the paint. In contrast to the pretty cut-and-dry method of applying water-based paints, however, oil-based solvents have a little bit more of a complex drying method. When oil paint dries, the binder reacts with oxygen and hardens. The oil-based binder is comprised of unsaturated fatty acids that have double bonds. Double bonds mean that rather than just having a bond, like a bridge, connecting two electrons or the center of an atom, it has two bridges connecting four electrons. This is normally seen in carbon atoms, which will tie in perfectly with what we're talking about with oil paints. These double bonds activate the allylic carbons to react with oxygen and form peroxides. Allylic carbons are like if a double-bonded carbon extended a branch to another carbon. It's a straggler, only connected to one side of that bridge, but still considered a part of the atom. It's a one-way street connected to a two-way main road. It's a carbon bridge to another carbon that's already bridged to another carbon. No matter how it's described, the result is three carbons in a roughly an L shape. When these carbons react with oxygen, they form peroxides, which are two oxygen atoms linked together by a covalent bond. So, literally, they completely change when they're taken out of the paint container and begin drying. That's crazy. So, if you made it this far, congratulations. You officially know the basic chemical components of paint, how they work, and how they change. If you made it through all that, you're a trooper and I applaud you. Because now that you have the basics, we can start to dive in on the environmental impacts of both and figure out which is more sustainable starting next week. If you like what you heard, please give a follow and give this podcast a rating. If you want to be notified of when I post a new episode, be sure to check out my socials in the description below and continue to join me on this journey. I am so excited for the future of this channel and hope you are too. Talk to you soon. Bye.